In this episode, I had the pleasure of speaking with Kristen Mallon, who is a board-certified nurse midwife, breast health expert, published author and a mother of four. Kristen has attended over 1,000 births, so has a huge wealth of knowledge when it comes to all things childbirth. I used this opportunity to ask Kristen some of the burning questions that I'm often asked by mums who are just embarking on their parenting journey. And there's some great tips and insights in this episode on topics including the first hour after birth and latching. I'm infant massage instructor Helen Thompson. Hello and welcome to First Time Mums Chat. Being a parent for the first time is challenging and changes your life in every way imaginable. To help ease your transition into parenthood, I aim to offer supportive, holistic approaches and insights for mums of babies aged four weeks to 10 months old. My goal is to assist you to become the most confident parent you can and smooth out the bumps along the way. This podcast is brought to you by My Baby Massage. So let's do this together. This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute medical advice. Please contact a medical practitioner if you are concerned or have any medical issues. Welcome Kristen to First Time Mums Chat. I'm delighted to have you here. I've always wanted to talk to a midwife. So let's start with asking what you do and what you're passionate about. Thanks, Helen. Thanks so much for having me here. So I'm a midwife in private practice in America, and I've been a midwife for 16 years and had a very busy practice. So even though it's only been 16 years, some people would say 16 is a long time. It's been many, many, many women throughout the years. And that's what I'm really passionate about. I really love working with women before they give birth, because I believe that when the baby is born, the mother is born too. And so I love Mm. to kind of give women that great first start. That's a nice way of putting it. The mother is born too. I really like that. That's nice because you don't normally hear that very often that a mother is born too, because she's born to a new life. You know, she's a mother in some ways before the baby is born, but I've feel that it really comes to full fruition when she holds the baby in her arms for the first time. That must be such a lovely experience for you as a midwife, but also for the mother as well, picking up the baby and just passing it. Do you cut the cord before the mum cuddles? So there's a lot of talk now about when to cut the cord and there's a lot of discussion. And so that's in a lot of prenatal conversations ahead of time about when and to do delayed cord clamping, to not do delayed cord clamping, to do cord blood collection, to do what's called a lotus birth, which is when you wait for the placenta to be born before you cut the cord. So lots of different options and women and families have all different options. And I don't cut a lot of cords, believe it or not. A lot of times a a woman's partner will cut the cord or a woman herself will cut the cord. Okay, that's nice because I think it, it gives you that connection. It's kind of a ritual in some ways. There's a little ceremony to it, I think. It's a moment in time. And I think that we have a lot of rituals for a reason and they serve a great purpose. And that's one of life's kind of cool, unique, once in a lifetime, twice in a lifetime, five times in a lifetime, however many kids Mm -hmm. you have, rituals. 
Yeah, because I know you're a mother of four, so you would have experienced that from the mother's side as well as being a midwife. Yeah, my husband cut the cord all four of my own births. We kind of had the conversation ahead of time, and he was the one that did it all four times. What are some of the things that mothers should see after she's given birth? We've just talked about cutting the cord, but are there any other things a mother should see after birth? Yeah, in the immediate postpartum time, the first hour is that time when, for most women, they really describe that moment as a very surreal out-of-body experience. Mm -hmm. And I, I find a lot of women, they struggle with that. They feel lost. They feel out of body. They don't know how to verbalize it. And some women have all different types of emotions around that. Sometimes Mm -hmm. there's immense joy, there's immense guilt, there's immense apprehension. And I really just think that women should know that in that first hour, there was a lot of movement. It's called the golden hour when the baby should really be skin to skin. And I'm not as big of a proponent of that as some think. There's a very wonderful doula who created this um, concept called the birth pause. And I thought it was so beautiful where she talks about how when the baby is born, if a woman is kind of left to her own devices and not put into her head that she should have any kind of, the baby has to go immediately to the chest and we have to do this and you have to do that and you should, 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 that women have this pause, whether it's a beat or a minute or five minutes where they just take it all in. And I think Mm -hmm. that's what's happening in those moments. And in that pause, it's the transition from either not having any children outside of the womb to having your first child outside of the womb or to be going from, if the unit is with one child to two or to many Anytime a new life is added to, or a new baby is added to a, a family, there's this, there's a shift and a transition. And of she course. did this beautiful explanation of the birth pause. And her name is Mary Esther Malloy. And I can give you the information to put in your show notes about that, where women can read about it. And then the, that first hour, I think we have to kind of let go of what should happen in that first hour. Some women don't want to hold the baby. Some women do want to hold the baby. Some women want their partner to hold the baby. Some women Mm -hmm. need a minute to kind of collect themselves and they need a moment alone or they want to be in darkness. Some women want to be surrounded by lots of people. And I think that all of those things are accepted and okay. Mm -hmm. And even when you look at a newborn and doing infant massage, working with a lot of infants, you would know this too, a newborn isn't always rooting right away, isn't always ready to nurse immediately within that first hour. Some are and Mm. some aren't. And so sometimes women can frustrate themselves if they have this feeling of should nurse, should have to breastfeed in this first quote unquote golden hour. So I always tell women the skin to skin isn't really important for the first hour. It's really important for the first 48 hours until the milk is coming in. And you have two days to do that important skin to skin to tell your brain, okay, make milk now. Okay, brain, start Mm -hmm. releasing the hormones that are going to start making milk. And I find so often that women in prenatal care are so obsessed with this golden hour and they get obsessed with colostrum and they get obsessed with the baby was born at 942. So until 1042, the baby has to stay on my chest and you can't do any tests and you can't weigh the baby. And some babies, about 10% of babies do need a little assistance 
after birth, they need a little observation, a little assistance. They need a little kind of rub on the back or pat on the head. And women kind of get disappointed if they fall into this 10% and, and their baby ends up needing a little bit more observation. And when I go see that same woman the next day or several hours later, if she gives birth at 10 PM, I'll go the next morning and see her just maybe 12 hours later. And the baby's laying in the bassinet. And I'm like, Oh, you've, you've missed the, the point of this skin to skin conversation that we've been having as birth workers for so long. It's not about the first hour. It's really about the first 48 hours. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned the rooting reflex. I know what that is because of my background. But for mothers that don't know, what is the rooting reflex? So uh, the rooting reflex is when the baby is kind of smacking its lips, Mm. licking its lips, opening and closing its mouth, making um, big mouth movements. And what I've noticed is that women who tend to have relatively quicker labors or relatively faster labors, their babies sometimes do tend to show these signs of readiness and willingness to breastfeed sometimes a little bit quicker than a baby who has gone through a longer labor itself, Mm -hmm. or who has gone through a longer second stage of labor. So the second stage of labor is you get to 10 centimeters, and now you're, you're starting to push. And you're pushing for maybe two hours, three hours, four hours. In the States, we let women push for four hours before we say, it's a rest of descent. Now our new standards have changed. It used to be two and then you evaluated and then three, and you were saying, okay, we can do a C-section at three hours of pushing, but it's changed to four hours. So sometimes we have women that are pushing a long time and those women are exhausted and Mm. they need that birth pause more than ever. And the babies need it too. And Mm, the babies don't always come out ready to breastfeed immediately. And women sometimes get that birth disappointment that I'm always trying to avoid through education and and through talks like this and through working with women through prenatal care, that it's okay if the baby doesn't get to the breast. We actually tell women they have four hours to get the baby to the breast after the baby's born. And sometimes it does take that long. It can take Mm. two or three hours before the woman and the baby have really recovered. I mean, the woman, I think emotionally, it's hard to know what's really going on with a, with a, a neonate, but I think they're both recovering, especially from these longer labors or these labors that have these longer second stages where the pushing part can be quite drawn out. It can be drawn out, as you say, for the baby as well, because exactly. we always think of the mother being exhausted, but I'm thinking of the baby going through the birth canal. That's quite a dramatic experience for a baby as well and when the mother's pushing it can put a lot of strain on the baby I would imagine as well absolutely so in the first hour the the woman is having her own kind of transition there's a lot of realizations that are happening a lot of aha moments there's a lot of instincts that are kicking in and Mm. it's okay to take the time to let that all wash over you there's not these time limits on everything has to happen within this first quote unquote, golden hour. Mm -hmm. I really say, give yourself four hours to bond and skin to skin and latch and do all these things. Women will often go through in the first hour too the the shakes. And I'm sure you might've heard about that. There's Mm -hmm. usually a tremendous amount of shaking and that happens with or without epidurals. A lot of times women will blame that on their epidural, but it happens without epidurals also, where if you look at an animal and this comes from Bradley, Bradley was an obstetrician who created the Bradley method of childbirth. And he 
modeled his method of childbirth based on watching animals give birth, he did have some really good points, which was that whenever an, an animal goes through a significant event, there is shaking. You'll see often mm -hmm. animals do this. If they have near misses, they'll have any type of something where their adrenaline gets up very, very high. They will have a shake to kind of process physically what happened to them emotionally. And mm -hmm. there is the fluid shift and there are the hormone shifts, which are also contributing to the shaking, but the shaking is a big thing that happens to women for usually about an hour or even 90 minutes after they give birth, the, the uncontrolled shaking. I can understand exactly. that. You mentioned earlier about latching. That was one of the things I was going to ask you about. What are some of the common issues that happen both for baby and mom when they first start latching? Well, I think what's really helpful about latching in general is the concept of latching should start before a woman gives birth, hopefully, ideally. And we don't really live in a world anymore where we grew up watching women breastfeed, where it was something that we saw all the time where, you know, the women are told <laughs> to cover up all the time and you didn't see your mother breastfeed, your aunts, your cousins, your sisters. It wasn't a common thing. So we didn't have that visual learning of the proper position and holding and what it should look like. So we've lost a lot of that just yeah, as a society and a culture. And so I really encourage women to take a breastfeeding class before they give birth, but it's very helpful to understand what latch should look like, the proper latch techniques, different positions, different holds. So you have some ideas of how to troubleshoot if it should come up. The other thing that I think is incredibly important and some preliminary research is coming out about this now is the supplementation of DHA and EPA, which are omega-3 essential fatty acids. So this is big in the, in the States. It's not so big in other parts of the world, but research is coming out that lip tie and tongue tie has been yes. associated with uh, decreased levels of omega-3 essential fatty acids and specifically EPA, which is an omega-3 essential fatty acid. So I think the supplementation of EPA is incredibly important. And then the last thing is that some women actually have flat nipples or inverted nipples. And this mm -hmm. is a question that I have on my own personal checklist in the office to ask women in the third trimester, if they've had an exam by one of my colleagues, it might not have been noted. And so I'll say, do you have flat or inverted nipples? And obviously women know immediately what I'm talking about. And that is something that there's all these tools that can be helpful that you can have antenatally like the latch assist and the nipple shields and nipple shells yes, I've to, heard help of those. With, to help with latching if you have flat nipples or inverted nipples, because the worst thing is you don't want to be on the finish line. And then all of a sudden you realize you don't have all the proper tools that would make it a lot easier. And then for latching, what we know to be the most effective thing to get women to latch is to have an experienced guide help you and watch you latch. So mm. wherever you give birth in the home, in a birthing center, in a hospital, having experienced personnel who have lactation experience, who can help you latch the first time, the second time, the third time is proven to be extremely beneficial for long-term breastfeeding success mm. rates. Yeah, I can imagine that because if you have a bad latch, this is it may affect the the uh, milk supply. But I don't know if that's true. So probably not necessarily affect the milk supply because the milk supply is 
is coming from a production scheme, I always say. So it's really a supply chain thing. So you're stimulating the breast with anything, really with the baby's mouth, with the baby's suck, with a breast pump or with your hand. And that's telling your brain to make more milk. And there's a little bit of a delay. There's a lag. So Mm -hmm. as long as you're stimulating the nipple, you're going to make milk. If you don't have a good latch, it could lead to pain. It could lead to blister formation. And then that could ultimately make it so that a woman can't take the pain anymore and then doesn't ultimately breastfeed because it's too painful. When my sister gave birth with my niece, she breastfed both my niece and my nephew. But when she gave birth to my niece, she said that she used cabbage leaves on her breast because her breasts were so painful. I'm assuming that could have been because she'd had a bad latch and she wasn't connecting as much. And that's why I don't know if that was a good thing or a bad thing, but that's what she did. Yeah. So cabbage leaves are kind of a old wives uh, myth, whether they, whether they work or not, if they work for you, that's great about for engorgement or when the, the breast can get over full. And now there's a lot of different kind of ointments and creams, and there's something called soothies, which can help for any type of nipple or blister formation on the breast. Mm. And that's what the shells and the shields help with. Also, the the shields will actually protect the nipple if the baby doesn't have a good latch. But if if you've done all the steps, if you took the EPA in pregnancy and you went to a breastfeeding class and you evaluated whether or not you have flat nipples and then you give birth and then within those first few times that you're breastfeeding, you have an expert that's helping you get a good latch going and you're still having issues, then it's good to consider the possibility of the baby has a lip or tongue tie, which is much, much more common these days. Yeah, I've heard about that. I've spoken to a few doulas who have told me about that and what they've done to help that. So can you actually give your baby too much milk? Can they suck so much that they get too much milk? Yeah, not very many women, but some women do have oversupply. And it's a very complicated problem that is very multifactorial and ultimately have a lot of different issues. But if the baby's getting too much milk, a lot of times they'll be throwing up after every feed. Mm-hmm. Throwing up after every feed can signify other things too. It could be like reflux. That the baby, exactly. Like the baby has reflux or that the baby, there's something else going on gastrointestinally or the baby has a milk allergy or some sort of lactate allergy or the baby's allergic to something that you're consuming. But most of the time, if a baby's overfed, the baby will actually throw up after every feed. Most women who have oversupply know because in the beginning, in the first six to eight weeks, when a woman pumps, she'll get anywhere between two to six ounces out. And women who have an oversupply are getting eight ounces, 12 ounces, 16 ounces out when they pump. Mm -hmm. And that can also create a different issue, believe it or not, with weight loss in babies, because they're getting too much of the milk that's the sugary, watery milk, and they don't end up getting the, the fatty milk, the hind milk that comes from the second part of the letdown of the breast so that they end up getting too overfull on the sugary, watery milk, and they don't end up getting the, the fatty milk that's behind. And there's all different ways to kind of correct oversupply in breast milk. Working with a lactation consultant is really helpful, I think, in those situations. And the pediatrician can a lot of times be very helpful. And In the States, we use this website called Kelly Mom. So that website is one of my favorite websites to refer women to because it helps to filter out all the noise on the internet. There's a lot of 
Mm, noise when it comes to really good information and it's monitored by lactation consultants. And so they monitor all the content and they filter out all of the bad information, which I think is great. Yeah. I've heard that some mums say that they've been told that they have to drain one breast before they go on to the next breast. I would say that's a miss, but I'm not experienced in that. So I tell women a lot that when they give birth, this is like another really good thing for the immediate hours after a woman gives birth, every single person, every nurse that they go through in their rotation throughout whatever center they give birth in, their sister, their mother, their friends, anyone who has had a baby is going to give them advice. No one is going to be a better expert on their body and their baby than them. So I I try to tell women as much as you can take all the information that you're getting in and try to sift through and see what, try to grow your intuition and see what sits right and feels right with you. Mm -hmm. If someone's telling you, you have to feed that baby every three hours, you have to wake that baby up in the middle of the night, but that doesn't intuitively feel right to you, then it's probably not right for you and your baby because no one knows your baby better than you. And nobody knows your body better than you. Exactly. So some women might need that. They might need to drain one breast and then go to the next breast. And that's how breastfeeding works well and best for them. And some women, it doesn't work well for them. They have to use both breasts for every single feeding and they use both breasts. And that's just how that type of feeding goes for them. And then it's really helpful to not get caught up in advice that someone else told you Mm. specifically And I tell women this as much as I possibly can. A lot of times they're listening to me in the prenatal period. When a woman gives birth, especially if she has sisters and her mother, those voices are going to be the loudest to her. Mm, And they're not always the most correct for her. So a lot of times women think I'm going to give birth the way my mother gave birth, or I'm going to give birth the way my sister gave birth. And I want to say that it usually doesn't go that way. And so it works, it works both ways. It works in a woman's favor sometime. And she's like, Oh, my mom had this horrible labor and it was four days long. And she surprises herself and her labor is only 12 hours long. And it works the other way. Well, my mom's labor was four hours long with all five of her kids. And I was her oldest and, and she pushed for 15 minutes with me. And then when that woman's labor doesn't go that way, she doesn't really understand why. And she thinks something's wrong when in fact, Mm -hmm. nothing's wrong. Mm -hmm. I feel we've covered a fair bit, but is there anything else that you feel would be beneficial to mums? We talked a little bit, Helen, you and I briefly about this before, but the postpartum period is really a year. And I really think women should give themselves the freedom to experience that whole time and that whole Mm -hmm. year that it takes to recover from giving birth, especially with their first, because that's the greatest transition when you go from having no children to having one child. And all these great points that you brought up about the first hour, and we don't have to have all these should, you know, Tony Robbins, that guru says you should all over yourself when you have all these shoulds and everything is real. However you experience it and the way that go through it is okay for you and really a beautiful thing. And that's the fun. And I try to tell women that a lot. They're like, I don't know when I'm going to go into labor. And I'm like, that's kind of the fun of it. And Mm -hmm. I don't, I've never, I don't know what to do. I've never been a mom. And that's kind of the fun of it, figuring it out and not having these expectations of not just the birth because birth disappointment is a whole nother podcast topic that we could go on. Of course. I think the, what you bring up is the postpartum, the few hours and days in the postpartum time 
uh, the baby should have the, this hour latch and that I should do this and mm-hmm. I should be doing all these things. And then just throw that out the window. And there's a lot of wiggle room. You know, babies are born with this brown fat that they metabolize and they're meant to lose a little bit of weight after they're born. And that's normal. And women should cut themselves a break. We're so hard on ourselves and we should really just go a little easier on ourselves. And the postpartum period is no exception. I agree. And I think it's important that they take care of their physical health. There's so much going on after you've given birth. And as you say, you've got to allow yourself time to relax. And I don't agree with shoulds either. I I think you should do this, you should do that. You should go with your gut feeling and not listen to your mother's gut feeling. Listening to your intuition and thinking, do I really feel comfortable with this? Can I do it this way? And talking to your midwife or your lactation consultant about different ways saying no I don't feel comfortable that way can I do it a different way yeah absolutely and I think you bring up this really great point which is about honing your intuition and I say that intuition is like a muscle the more we use it the the better we get at it and you can hone your intuition even during your pregnancy if something doesn't feel right it probably isn't right. If you feel like you should do something or you want to do something, then that might be a good thing for you. And then you start to have these really good experiences with trusting your intuition. And then that can carry over into your transition to motherhood. Yeah. And it's something that we can get better at as we get older too. So after all these wonderful tips, if a mom wanted to get in touch with you, how would they go about doing that? So we have a podcast um, called True Birth Podcast, and it's at truebirthpodcast.com. And we talk more about pregnancy and labor. It's really about a lot of those topics. And the website to our practice is maternalresources.org. Thank you. I really enjoy talking about all this. I've actually learned a lot more about latching. So thank you for coming on the podcast and sharing all this wonderful information and just to um, add about your podcast I did listen to it and I find it very informative I like the approach male I think he's doctor involved as well because it makes it more fun I think you two have a very good rapport and I recommend it to mums it's very good yeah thank you and thanks so much for having me on it's been so fun I hope you find Kristen's tips and insights as helpful as I did I really like Kristen's belief that when the baby is born, the mother is born too. You can regularly listen to Kristen sharing her expertise via her True Birth podcast, which is highly recommended. And I've included a link to it in the show notes at mybabymassage.net forward slash podcast forward slash 053. Please help me spread the word to other mums by rating and reviewing my podcast on Apple Podcasts. This helps me Support more mums, yes, just like you, for a smooth journey into the exciting world of parenthood. I am really passionate about First Time Mums Chat and providing a weekly resource that helps parents who are new to the whole world of parenting, and I want to hear from you. I warmly welcome questions and feedback and comments on my podcast episodes. I am always on the lookout to interview mums who are doing amazing things. Is your little one suffering from colic or constipation? I may have just the thing to help you experience less crying, less stress and have a happier, more contented little one and household. Just go to mybabymassage.net forward slash colic to get your free colic remedies cheat sheet. 
Start soothing your baby and get some much needed rest and build a deeper bond with your baby that grows stronger every day. That's mybabymassage.net forward slash colic. So please reach out by sending me an email at support at mybabymassage.net. And once again, thank you so much for listening.